Welcome to this week's episode of the North Bible Church Podcast. Now, let's join our pastor as we open God's Word together. We're finishing up Philippians this morning, and uh, we've called this the Book of Joy because uh, for a couple of reasons. One is that uh, this, uh, the Philippians brought great joy to the Apostle Paul. He loved them. This is a very personal letter. It's a very sweet letter. Uh, it's uh, a very loving letter. He tells them throughout this book how much he loves them, how grateful he is for them. And so it's a wonderful picture of community. Uh, it's a wonderful picture of, of uh, personal picture of who the Apostle Paul was. Um, he's in prison in Rome. Uh, he's under a death sentence. He doesn't know what's going to happen. He's chained to one of the royal guards 24 hours a day, and yet he can write this intimate, personal letter uh, to the church in Philippi while they're experiencing persecution and and struggles themselves. Uh, he comes to the end uh, of, this, um, of this book, and, and I, it, you kind of feel like, you know, there's this father talking to his kids, uh, and, and, and I'm struggling to get out the last words I want to say to them. What do I want them to remember? And so when we come toward the end of the book of Philippians, uh, we get to a very, very practical section in the book, and, and so this morning, we're gonna talk about uh, some very practical ways uh, to follow Christ and what the, what the repercussions are, what that means uh, to us. So we're looking at Philippians 4, and last uh, weekend, uh, Troy did a great job, and he finished up with, with Philippians 4, 4. It says, um, rejoice in the Lord always, and again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be made known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. And so he begins this next, this last little part with rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Do you want me to repeat that? Yeah, because it's my special gift. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Now, he says it that way for emphasis. This is like putting an exclamation point uh, on the sentence, when you repeat it like that, when you double it up, when he says rejoice in the Lord, and again I say rejoice, uh, we don't have, the, the Greeks didn't have lots of, you know, um, they didn't have commas and exclamation points and periods like that, they didn't use those, so they would repeat words to give it an exclamation. And so he wants us to understand, he's saying with emphasis, I want you to rejoice in the Lord. Now, that's what's really important about this, so the very first thing that we wanna understand this morning is that we're called and commanded to rejoice. And he says we rejoice in the Lord. So it's not rejoicing in spite of my circumstances, Okay, I'm gonna thank the Lord and praise the Lord anyway. Uh, it, it's, not, it's not rejoicing uh, without taking into consideration all the other things that are going on in the world and all the other things going on in my life, but he's saying because we belong to Jesus, because of what Christ has done, because we were lost in our sin and Christ came and died on a cross, he gives us life, he rose again, we have eternal life through him, we rejoice in who we are in Christ and it's bigger and better than our circumstances. We rejoice in him. So he begins with rejoice in the Lord. And then uh, he goes on to say that rejoice in the Lord, and then he says in verse six, do not be anxious about anything. He goes right in from rejoice in the Lord, don't be anxious. And I love this because that's sort of like, you know, if I, if I tell all of you don't think about pink elephants, what are you gonna do, right? 
I tell you, don't be anxious. And Noah said, okay, what's going on? You know, what are we doing? What's wrong? And we start to get anxious just thinking about it, right? And here's the Apostle Paul saying, don't be anxious. And the reality is that we all get anxious sometimes. Some of us have turned it into an art form. Some of us know how to be anxious a lot. Uh, We know how to be really anxious. And, and, And what's interesting about this is that Paul, when he uses the word anxious in this passage, he's not talking about sitting at a stoplight, okay? And can't, and come on, you know, how long is it going to go? What he's thinking about is the kind of anxiety that tears us apart, the kind of anxiety that just rips us apart, that consumes us. That he's saying, I don't want you to be consumed with anxiousness. I don't want you to be overwhelmed with anxious, anxiousness. Don't do that. But, but what makes this so practical is that he's setting this up. He says, Rejoice in the Lord. And then do not be anxious, and he follows it this way, but in everything, by prayer and supplication and thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So Paul says, I know people get anxious, but I'm gonna tell you, don't let anxiety tear you apart. Don't let it consume you, but I want you to begin your day. I want you to rejoice. Uh, Then I want you to pray. I want you to bring your requests. This idea of supplication is saying, what? bring all of those things to the Lord. Bring all those things that are making you anxious and lay them at the feet of Jesus. Give them to him, and he says, do that. Pray with supplication and with thanksgiving. Now, here's what he's not saying. He's not saying rejoice, don't be anxious, but but pray with with supplication and then give thanks. But he's saying that when we pray, we pray with thanksgiving. That we say, Lord, thank you that I know that you're at work. I know that you answer prayer. I know that you will do this and that we're praying in faith. It's not a thing that we add on to the end. Okay, now I'm gonna gonna segment my prayers and and I'm I'm gonna give God glory and then I'm going to ask him for things and then I'm gonna give him thanks. But he says, no, we thank him as we pray because we know that he's already heard us. We know that he listens. We know that he answers prayer. And so as we pray, we're already thanking him for answering our prayer. We're already thanking him for interceding. We're already thanking him for who he is. So, so kind of get this picture that, that Paul is saying, is that he's saying the antidote to anxiety, the antidote to being anxious, is rejoicing. It's prayer with thanksgiving. And the result of that is that that overcomes our anxiety. That overcomes the things that are tearing us apart, the things that are causing us to be anxious. And then he continues with this great promise, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That the result of our rejoicing, the result of our prayer with supplication, with thanksgiving, not only is it an antidote to anxiety, but the promise is that what comes with that is a peace, it's a peace of God. So it's not, it's not me being stoic, it's not me sort of saying, you know, uh, you know uh, given time, we'll, all, we'll overcome all of this. It's, it's not me saying, I, I'm bigger than this, I'm stronger than this, I can fix this. Uh, but it's a peace of, it's the peace of God. And this idea of peace, uh, you know, the Hebrew word is shalom. And it gives us this idea of a wholeness, of a completeness. So here's what the Apostle Paul wants us to understand. He says, when we, when we rejoice and when we pray, um, bring our request to the Lord with thanksgiving, that there's a peace that comes from God that's a wholeness, that it's a completeness, that it fulfills us. 
uh, that it covers all of our who we are and all the things that are going on in our lives. And he says that peace surpasses understanding. It transcends understanding. It's bigger than anything that we could ever be anxious about. It's bigger than anything that we can imagine. It's the peace that comes from God. It's his peace, not our peace. And so many times we, we, try, to, we try to make this peace about us, right? Okay, God, I'm gonna get peace now. I'm gonna have peace and that means I've gotta do like these three things or I've gotta overcome this. And, and he's saying, no, what, here's what I want you to understand. That the result of rejoicing in me the result of bringing your prayer request to me with thanksgiving is that I give you my peace. Jesus said uh, in John 14 that my peace I give you, it's not the peace that the world gives, but it's my peace. This peace that he offers us, this wholeness, this completeness can only come through Christ. It only comes when we belong to him, when he's the Lord of our lives. And he says it surpasses anything that we experience. It surpasses any anxiousness, any anxiety that we might experience. It surpasses all of that. So he says, and the peace of God which surpasses, transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And I love this phrase, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. The word guard here is a military word. And so picture, picture a great army that surrounds a city and protecting the people in that city from, from an enemy. And here's what Paul is saying, that the peace of God that Christ offers is like a great army that surrounds our lives to keep the enemy out, uh, to protect us, to guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus because of who Christ is, because we belong to him. He will set that guard to guard our hearts and our minds. But he calls us, to rejoice, he calls us to pray with supplication, with thanksgiving, to allow that peace to enter in our lives, to allow that peace to set a guard up in our lives. So he says, stop being anxious, but trust me, bring these things to me. So if you want something really practical, uh, and you wanna find out how do I get peace in my life, then Paul has given us a rhythm that we can apply that said we, we begin with being rejoicing and then we come to him in prayer. We bring our requests to him because he cares about us because we're his children. He wants to know what we need. He wants, well, he knows. He wants us to communicate what we need. He wants us to come to him. He wants us to come to him with thanksgiving because we have confidence that, that he hears and answers prayer and then he promises a peace that will transcend our anxiety will transcend all of our understanding and will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. will set up a, a guard for us. Verse eight, then he says, finally, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is any uh, anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. So he kind of shifts gears a little bit, but, but now he's giving us something that's eminently practical again. He's saying that whatever's true, whatever's honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, 
Think on those things. Think about those things. Now, this word think that he uses here uh, isn't sort of, you know, to give a passing thought to something, but it means to drill down. He says, I want you to focus on this. I want you to drill down into what it means, what these things are about, what they mean in your lives. What what, what does it mean to be true and honorable and, and just? What does it mean to have those characteristics in your life? And, and he lists a bunch, but we're going to look at four really quickly. Uh, and he says, first, you know, what, what does it mean to be true? Uh, if you want to have peace, think about what is true. Uh, don't believe the lies, Paul says. Don't believe the deceit, Paul says. Don't, don't believe the things that you, that you hear that are contrary to what God has already told you, that what God has already given you. In other words, here's what I want you to think about. I want you to think about the gospel. Think about Jesus. Do you know, in fact, Jesus said in John 14, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. So do you want to know what true is? If you don't know what truth looks like, it looks like Jesus. And, And so if we want to think about truth, if we want to think about what is true, then let's start with just thinking about Jesus. Who, who is Christ? Who is Jesus? What did Jesus do? What did he say? How did he live his life? What do we learn from Jesus? Let's dig in. Let's drill down and think about those things. Let's think about Jesus because he's the truth and not listen to all the other lies, not listen to all the other deceit that just sort of flows around us and that we get bombarded with constantly. But let's think about what's true. Let, let's think about what's honorable. This idea of honorable, another word for it would be noble or, or what's worthy of your respect. He's saying, I want you to drill down into ideas, to things that are worthy of your respect, worthy of your attention. Don't get caught up in the trivial things. Don't get caught up in the things that, that don't matter, that don't have eternal value, but let's drill down and really think about What's honorable? What's worthy of our respect? What's worthy of our time and attention? So let's think about what's true. Let's think about what's worthy of our respect and our attention. Think about those things. Don't give your energy to things, even worries that aren't worth it. And then he says, whatever's just. Uh, Justice and just is based on God and his character. And being just is always built on grace because God is just and God's character is just, but it's always balanced with his grace. It's always balanced with his love for us. And so he says, I want you to think about, I want you to think about what's true and I want you to think about what's worthy of your respect and I want you to think about what's just. What, what, what is just? And the Old Testament says, what is mercy and just? that it always involves grace, that I wanna be right, I wanna have righteousness, but I wanna have righteousness with love. I wanna be just, but I wanna be just the way Jesus is just. I wanna be righteous the way Jesus is righteous. And then let's, let's look at another one. Whatever is pure, he says. And, and the word pure kind of the, means to be unmixed. And so he's saying, 
If, if, you want to, if, you, if, you, if you want to think about something, think about what is pure. Don't let it get stained. Don't let it get mixed up with things that don't matter. Don't let it get mixed up with things that, that don't count, that aren't worthy of your time, that aren't worthy of thinking about. But, but, try to, but think about what is pure. And again, I would encourage you to think about the gospel. Think about the fact of who you are in Christ. Think about what Jesus did. Maybe, maybe it, it's thinking about the fact that we're made in the image of God and, and God's love for us and how God has ordered history uh, for us so that we might experience Jesus, all of those things. But think about what is true and think about what's just and think of what it means to live a life that honors him and drill down in those things. Give those things your, your time and your attention. But think well. Concentrate on those things. So th- this, is, this is incredibly practical, isn't it? Because uh, he's told us in the beginning that rejoice and pray with supplication and th- with thanksgiving. And then he says, here are the things that I want you to think about. Here are the things I want you to drill down on. These are what I want you to concentrate on in your life to give real focus and time and energy in your life. Think about what is true and what is honorable and what is just and what is pure. And think about those things. And he said, and the peace of Christ will be with you as you think about those things. We think about all kinds of other things, right? We, we, think, about, uh, uh, we, we think about lots of other things. We, we, we get caught up in, in our thoughts. And he's saying, I want, you to, I want you to focus. So here's what he calls us to do. Let's look at this. Uh, in verse 9, he says, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, Paul's saying again, he said this before, imitate me. Uh, he, he says here, what you've seen and learned and heard, uh, or what you've learned and received and seen, heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Practice these things. Okay, so I love this. Talk about practical. He says, now here's what I want you to do. I want you to think about these things and then I want you to practice them. Oh, okay. So you actually want me to do what I'm thinking about. You want me to practice what is true and practice what is honorable and practice what is just and, and, and practice what is pure. You want, me to, you want me to live those things out. Not only do I concentrate on those things, not only do I focus on those things, but I, but I live them out in my life. I... I, I I take them seriously. I practice. Sometimes we say practice what you preach, right? Uh, John Wesley used to say, you know, preach faith until you get it. Uh, maybe one of the things that we ought to think about here is, you know, how do we practice what we preach? How do we, how do we put to practice the things that we say we believe? And Paul is saying, think about those things and then practice them. Now, I thought it was really interesting because we have lots of friends who are doctors and a lot of, you know, we have friends here, right, that are doctors. And, and have you ever teased a doctor about why they still are practicing? Don't, you know, and, and, and don't you want to, like, finally get it and then, then be a doctor, right? Seriously, but you're still, I mean, do I really want you to practice on me? I, you know, right, and all those kind of things we talk about. But then, so, so I Googled it, yeah. And here's what I learned about practicing. So you're welcome, doctors. Practice is the repeated performance 
or systematic exercise for the purpose of acquiring skill or proficiency. Repeated performance or systematic exercise for the purpose of acquiring skill or proficiency. So here's what the Apostle Paul is saying. Bless you. What the, what the Apostle Paul is saying is that I want you to think about what's true and I want you to think about what's honorable and I want you to think about what's just and I want you to think about what's pure. I want you to think about those things and then I want you to practice them and I want you to practice them repeatedly and consistently day after day in your life. I want those things to become like breathing for you. I want you to practice them so much that you become a practitioner that you know how to do, that you develop the skills to live your life this way. And it only comes with practice. There's a famous pianist said one time that if he didn't practice for a day, he could tell. And if he didn't practice for two days, his wife could tell. And if he didn't practice for three days, the audience could tell. And what the Apostle Paul is saying is that this practice is something that we give our lives to, that we practice it day in and day out that we give our lives, that we concentrate on those things, we think about those things, and then we practice them. And it takes concentration, and here's what he says happens as a result of that, is that it overcomes any kind of anxiety. It overcomes those doubts, because we're focused on what is true, what is honorable, what is just, what is pure. And we need to learn how to do it, and then we need how to practice it. And here's what happens then. So here's the hot tip, that if we practice those things, then when life slams us, when life crushes us, when we get hit with something unexpected or something so devastating, then we automatically fall back on what we practice. We fall back on what we believe. We fall back on what we think about all the time. And that what is what makes all the difference in our lives. That it's not about saying, okay, I'm gonna pull myself up by my bootstraps. It's not about saying, okay, I'm gonna overcome this. It's not saying, okay, I'm, I'm gonna be, or it's not just giving up on life and, and, and being defeated and feeling like a failure and being completely distraught and undone. But what happens is the things that we've been practicing the things that we've been giving our attention to and our concentration to, those things then come into play automatically when we find ourselves in crazy places. A great example of that, one of the greatest, one of the most famous examples of that was a, a man named Horatio Spafford. Many of you have heard of Horatio Spafford. I think we have a picture of him right here. He was a businessman, a lawyer in Chicago. In 1871, their four-year-old son died of an illness and then that year came the Chicago fire and he was very successful and lost everything in the, in the Chicago fire. He had to rebuild his whole business, rebuild their whole lives. And then two years later, they had planned a trip to Europe and they uh, set his, uh, right at the last minute, he had a business uh, need that came up and he put his wife and four daughters on a ship from New York City to uh, France. And many of you know the story that along the way they were rammed uh, by an iron Dutch freighter. And uh, it was a catastrophic uh, time on that boat that almost everyone 
had been, who had been on that boat perished uh, in that wreck. Um, he, uh, here's a picture of his wife, uh, Anna Stepfafford, was on that ship with her uh, four daughters, and she uh, gathered her daughters when the ship was hit and it was starting to tilt. She grabbed her daughters and they knelt and prayed together, and then the, they were swept away. And a sailor rowing a boat came and, and uh, found this woman uh, holding on to a piece of debris from the boat and she was still alive and he pulled her in and took her to shore. And when, she, uh, they, uh, when they finally docked, uh, she had made it, but none of her daughters had survived the catastrophe. And she sent a telegram to her husband that simply said, still alive, what shall I do? Still alive, what shall I do? And all of her children were lost in this wreck. He jumped on the first ship that he could get uh, on board and uh, started to go get his wife. And the captain of the ship he was on called him uh, one night and said, this is the exact spot where your wife's ship and your daughter's ship went down. And they had some other kids later, and one of his daughters said that it was on that boat going to get his wife that he wrote the words to the song, It Is Well With My Soul. And, and it's an incredible picture of what it means to think about these things, to concentrate on those things, to practice those things so that when, when the worst thing in life hits, that those things that we've practiced, those things that we've thought, come into play to guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. Aaron's going to lead us in that song.
Peace, um, the peace that Christ offers, uh, you know, some we, we often think about peace and we think peace is the uh, opposite of war. But peace is really the opposite of anxiety. Here's how the Apostle Paul finishes. He says in verse 10, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Uh, I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, there's something I, I just want us to think about this morning, and that's what Paul says, that I have learned to be content. He wasn't born content, none of us are. He didn't decide one day to be content. None of us can do that. But he said, I learned contentment. And here's the progress that I, that I see is, is that as he rejoiced and uh, as he prayed with supplication, with thanksgiving, as he learned to think about what was really true and what really mattered, what was really worthy and just and pure, as he experienced the peace of Christ, that what he found is that whether he was at the top of the food chain or the bottom of the food chain, whether he was in perfect condition or in horrible condition, whether he had lots to eat or nothing to eat, that he had learned that the result of all of this is to trust in Christ and that be content. He learned contentment because he practiced those things. 
He learned contentment because he knew where his heart and his life stood in Christ. He knew who he belonged to. He, he knew that at the end of the day, he would spend eternity with Christ. He had that. In fact, and he tells us in, in Philippians 1.21, remember we've talked about it a lot, that for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. That what's the worst thing that can happen to me, right? That if I live, I'm going to keep proclaiming Christ. If I die, I'm going to be with him for eternity. I can't lose either way. And because of that, the recognition of that made him content. That it wasn't about what he had or didn't have, what he had to eat or didn't have to eat, but it was about being in Christ and living in him. So let's just finish this with four things. Rejoice, pray, think, and practice. First thing that Paul tells us is to rejoice in the Lord. And we probably should always have that it's not just rejoicing, but it's rejoicing in the Lord. It's because of who Jesus is. And then he reminds us to pray, and he says, with supplication and thanksgiving, I want you to pray. I want you to bring your request, but I want you to acknowledge the fact that I am already at work, and that I hear you, and that I answer prayer, and that I love you, that you belong to me. And then he says, I want you to think about these things. I want you to drill down into what matters in life. Think about those things that are true and are honorable, and just, and pure. And then finally he says, then I want you to practice those things. Practice those things that I've called you to, and the result will be a peace that, that you know you don't deserve, a, a peace that you can't get on your own. It's a contentment that says it's not depending on my circumstances. So the question is, do you wanna have peace this morning? Do you, do you wanna live a life of contentment? Then this is the formula. This is Paul says, I'm gonna help you get there. I'm gonna teach you what it looks like and, and how to live that kind of life, and now it's up to you. Will you do those things? Will you practice those things in your life because here is the result. And so I think that here's, here's the decision that you have to make this morning. Do I enjoy my anxiety so much that it's just, I don't, I'm, I don't wanna practice those things to be different. I don't wanna practice those things to change. Am I, am I okay just living in my anxiety and my lack of contentment and all that goes along with that, my discouragement? Or, or, or am I willing, am I willing to apply what the gospel teaches us, am I willing to concentrate to give my life to what's true and what's honorable and just and pure, to practice those things so that in the end I might experience contentment, I might learn contentment from Christ. So here's my last question for you. What have you been thinking about? What, what occupies your thoughts? And maybe it's a time to, uh, you know, we talk about 2 Corinthians 10.5. The second half of that verse is take every thought captive and give it to the Lord. Maybe that's what we need to start doing. 10.5-ing it. Taking those thoughts captive. Taking those things that hold us up. Taking those things that create anxiety in our lives and giving them to the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the privilege of walking through the, the book of Philippians and, and how you speak to us, Lord, about your greatness and uh, your love and you give us the example of the apostle Paul and his love for the church in Philippi and, and yet, Lord, it's real and there are challenges and issues and, and all of those things that are part of our lives as well. So, Lord, this morning, I, I want you to help us to think well. 
I, I want you, Lord, please, to help us to think uh, about you, uh, to, to rejoice in you, to bring our requests and our needs before you with thanksgiving, Lord, and then to practice those things that you teach us. We are grateful. We thank you, Lord. Praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. In just a moment, we'll rejoin our pastor for today's closing thoughts. But first, we wanted to thank you for tuning in. North Bible Church is located in Scottsdale, Arizona, and exists to equip all generations to love God, love one another, and love the world. For more information about North, please visit our website at northbiblechurch.com. Now, some closing thoughts from our pastor. Proverbs 27.3, my paraphrase, uh, says uh, that you, uh, you are what you think about all day. That uh, as a man thinketh, so is he. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. That's the old uh, King James Version of it. But we are what we think about. And uh, maybe this week, our prayer should be, Lord, help me to be aware of what I think about. Help me be aware of those thoughts that are the regular thoughts, that those thoughts that come to me all the time. And, and if those thoughts aren't healthy, if those thoughts aren't uh, of the Lord, if those thoughts take you in other places, then 10-5 them. Take those thoughts captive and give them to the Lord because we are what we think about. 